just very quickly, for those who may not be familiar with the whole term or language of Advent, Advent is, um, is a Christian sort of, well, it's a Christianized word that the church has used over many, many years to um, explain the tension of living between the birth of Jesus and Jesus having come as Messiah and the fact that Jesus is coming again in all of his fullness as the great and glorious returning king. And so we live between the times. And in the biblical story, um, the people of Israel were in this season of great, um, I guess you could say, waiting. And in their waiting for the coming of the Messiah... For many, they grew cold and passive. For many, religion became the way of surviving that absence of waiting. But then we see the intensity of the coming of the Christ, you know, begin to happen. Zechariah, it was his turn to go to the temple. Early in Luke's gospel, you'll see this. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was his time to go into the presence of God and minister to God. And when he went in there, an angel of the Lord spoke to him. And he was so struck by the presence of what this angel told him and also his inability to actually grasp it and believe it. Zechariah became mute. And his wife, Elizabeth, who had been barren, became pregnant. And she... She gave birth, and, well, she carried and gave birth to John the Baptist. Okay? So all of a sudden, the story starts to pick up speed. <laughs> There's these angelic visitations taking place. And then Mary, she receives an angelic visitation. And she is told that she is actually the Holy Spirit. The power of God is going to actually overshadow her and she's going to become pregnant and she's going to carry the Messiah the Christ child, the one that the prophets have been speaking for hundreds and hundreds of years would come. And so the story now is really starting to pick up. The, it's about to happen. Um, if you've ever seen a family member or it's, you know, all of a sudden that's, that's about to have a child, it's kind of like nine months is ticking along, ticking along, ticking along. And then well, if, if you're the person carrying the child, I, I, I imagine you kind of get to that point where it's like, um, I just wish this child would hurry up and arrive. <laughs> um, you know, from you know, Nicole's experience, you know, she got to the nine-month mark, she's like, hurry up and get here. There's this expectation like, come on, bring the birth on, I'm ready. And this is what was happening with the arrival of Jesus. The story was picking up, sp up speed and the expectation was it's nearly here and then Jesus is born. And we see the ministry of Jesus as he lives his life. We see his death and resurrection. We see his ascension to be with the Father where he rules and reigns the heavens even now as we speak. And he's still Lord of Earth from there too. It's kind of crazy but it all works. And he promised something to his people. He said, I'm coming back. Don't worry. And when I come back, everything 
will be made new. All of the promises of God will be fully, fully established for all time, forevermore. And so we live in that end of the, of the story. Paul actually uses language like, he says, we're living in the end times. In other words, we're living right at the cusp of, oh my gosh, the king is about to come back. So we're living in that part of the story. And this is what Advent means. It means God's about to break in. Now, we see God break in all the time. We see him heal the sick. He set people free from demonic powers. We see the Mercy Center right now. The cupboard in the Mercy Center is being filled and filled and filled by the generosity of God's Spirit touching our region. And people are pouring food in so that the poor can be fed. I mean, it's just extravagant. But that's breaking. It's the kingdom. It's the heart of God breaking in in a region. That's just it's a wonderful thing to see. We see God's love breaking in all the time. But we also see, in, even in our own story, like this morning with the Wright family, we see the kingdom is still delayed. And it's like we're on the cusp of it, but it's just not quite here. And we learn to live in that reality. This Advent, I believe, as I just spent some time with the Lord on this, he wants to remind us that it, he wants the, the, the message is good news. It's for all people. And the key declaration of heaven with the coming of Jesus is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Heaven made a declaration that night. If you've got your Bible, quickly open it up to Luke chapter 2, or you can feel free to read it on the screen there as we read it together. But Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. It's interesting. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for everything, all the things that they had both heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. So it's a great account of um, the night of the Saviour's birth, and I love it because I love particularly this version of it because in Luke's account, he, he, he declares that God is now in the earth through, and his first, his first guys that he turns up to tell are the shepherds. I love it. I love it because the shepherds, those guys, socially, culturally, economically, they're like the, the low end of town. Low end of town, not looked at with a sense of, oh, yeah, I want to be like you one day. No. <laughs> you become like these guys because you can't become something else. And so I love it that God opens heaven to these guys. And he says, through these guys, my Christ is come. That should give us all a great sense of encouragement, that it's not based on social standing or our own ability. It's just purely on the love of God that he would reveal to all of us the good news of Jesus. Now, I want to just touch on this issue of what happened, the first reaction of the shepherds to the angels. It said there, um, it said there uh, let me just go back there, do not be afraid. And I just put the, the Greek word there next to it. And um, the, the, the sense of it is that when these angels appeared, the first reaction that the shepherds had was um, like, oh my goodness, let's get out of here. The world's about to cave in on us. Something tra- terrible is happening. It was, ter- it was terrifying. Now, my, my guys in my house, they play this game. And this game in my house, you can tell when it's happening because someone will be just jollying along down the hallway and then the next thing you know, someone will leap out from the other part of the hallway and go, wah, like this. And the person who is like, they're completely shocked and terrified and their first reaction is like, ah! And then, you know, whatever comes after that. But, and usually someone ends up getting beat up or something like that. But anyway, it's all like shock and horror. It's like, ah! This is what, hap- this is what it's like when those angels rocked up to those shepherds that night. You've got to understand, these guys were just going about business. They were just going about business. And usually at night, pretty quiet, you know. They're just keeping the edges of the flock in check, making sure there was no, you know, unfriendlies out there about to nab the sheep. But they were just probably having some downtime, pretty quiet, a few little meh's going on. (laughs) And then heaven opens. And these guys' reaction is they were terrified, completely terrified. I don't know if you've ever had a, a moment in the night where you've had like terror visit you. You know, where you're lying in bed and it's like, you don't want to move because you're terrified. Because you can feel spiritual dynamics going on around you. This is what's going on for these guys. It's terrifying to them. And the first words, you see, for many people, they think that the inbreaking of God is just going to be a terrifying reality for their life. But the, 
And it's interesting that humanity's first response to the good news is, I'm terrified, as the, as the good news of heaven is breaking into the earth through Jesus. The first reaction of people is, we're terrified about this. Don't be surprised when you want to talk to people about God. They, they, they get terrified. The walls go up. They're terrified. They, they protect themselves. They want to, and that word in the Greek literally means they want to flee. They want to get the heck out of there. Don't be surprised. And that's why these guys, these angels, had to make a declaration into the fear base of humanity and that the enemy has stirred up and continues to hold people captive to. That's the very first thing that heaven, the love of God, wants to deal with. The fear associated with knowing God that the enemy has sold into the earth and sown rather well. Because it's our first reaction. It's a bit like when you're driving in a car and, <laughs> you know, uh, all of a sudden you'll be driving along and you may not have noticed it, but in your rear vision mirror, all of a sudden the police car is right there behind you. And then you look in your rear vision mirror and your first reaction is like, <gasps> and then your second reaction is, okay, my speed's okay. But your first reaction is, <gasps> be why? Why is our first reaction, <gasps> Because their role is to help keep us safe. Their role is to help give us a sense of security in our society. Their role as police officers is to make us feel like everything's okay. There's a sense of order and things. But our first reaction when they're on the tail of our car is, <gasps> why? Why is that our first response to authority? Why is that our first response to anyone in authority, let alone God, who is the one who is all-powerful and in all authority? There's something going on here that's broken. Our first response to true authority, healthy authority, and particularly the authority of the love of God in Christ should be, thank goodness you're here, not fear, not fear, but thank goodness you're here. So many spiritualities that are running rampant in our, in our world today are all spiritualities and practices that involve you've got to do X, Y, and Z to appease the powers that are above you. Because if you don't appease the powers, then look out. And so what happens, though, is... There is this nagging sense of if we don't appease authority, if we don't please authority, there is a fear of punishment. There is a fear of I'm going to get something. I'm going to cop it, whatever it is. There's this sense of fear. And this is, <clears throat> this is a, a, a form of life <coughs> that Christians fall into the habit of as well in their relationship with God. When, when fear starts to want to determine how we do relationship with God, when fear wants to tell you this is how you do it, we, we fall into the trap of just behaviour modification. Oh, I better behave like this, because that way I won't cop that. And that's the wrong image of God. And that's what these angels that night are trying to establish Guys, in the earth, you've got a wrong image of God. You don't understand God. 
You're trying to understand him through the lens of your fear rather than receive him for the good news that he is that will minister to your fear. What's going to save us? Our, our ability to manage our behavior in the hope that God would let us somehow into his presence? Is it behavior modification that's going to save us? No, absolutely not. What saves us in this account is that God has come and his first words are good news, good news to your soul. And he says to, through these angels to everyone's heart, don't be afraid. That's actually an action that we need to take on our end in relationship with the Holy Spirit, by the way. It's not like a pill that somehow you swallow. It's actually a, 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 a meeting of our heart and the Holy Spirit together with the love of God saying, fear not, receive the good news. We've been so sadly weakened and we've settled for behaviour modification in so many ways rather than the good news that the angel came with that night. Fear is a very powerful motivator. Fear can drive us. Fear drives us. I know a lot of good people and they are good people in the sense that they have a, a, a conscious sense of others and they want to do better, they want to see the world improve and they're good folk. But the story behind so many of their good works is their fear and their anxiety of the things that have hounded their own life. And it's driven them. It's not coming out of this sense of relationship with God. There's a, um, a book I read a while ago by a guy called Wayne Jacobson called He Loves Me. And on page 83, he makes this list so I just want you to close your eyes for me for a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to just say, this is the one that I want to work with you on this Advent. This is the one I want to bring you through and into my good news and out of fear. So just close your eyes and listen to the Holy Spirit. Jacobson lists these fears. He says, sometimes we fear the unknown. Sometimes we fear being unknown. Sometimes we fear not having enough. Sometimes we fear getting caught. Sometimes we fear that we'll never find the right person to marry. Sometimes we fear debilitating or life-threatening diseases. Sometimes we fear for our children's safety. Sometimes we fear what people will think of us. Sometimes we fear what people won't think of us. 
Sometimes we fear crime. We fear losing a loved one. We fear authority. Sometimes we fear we won't get what we deserve most. Sometimes we fear what others might do to us. Sometimes we fear rejection, failure. We fear being taken advantage of. We fear being alone. Perhaps we fear losing our job. Sometimes we fear people finding out who I really am. Sometimes we feel like something bad is just going to happen to us all the time. Sometimes we fear not fitting in. We fear death. We look at the news and we see the lack of peace in our world and it causes us to fear. And we also fear, this isn't in his book, but we also fear just the rise of religious radical living. Holy Spirit, would you help us journey from that fear base into the good news of Jesus? This Advent, for everyone in this room, whatever that conversation is right now that you're having with them, let there be peace in our hearts Let there be joy on our faces. Let us be a people of the good news to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To finish with, there's this little story I just want to read to you. And it's the account of when Jesus had been crucified and Peter goes and spends time back in his old trade to try and process the grief and how am I going to do life now that Jesus isn't with me? And, um, and also dealing with the fact that Peter was, you know, he was a guy who's like, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm with you till the end, you know. Let's take the hill no matter what comes. And yet Peter was also the guy that said, I don't know Jesus when it really, hap- you know, counted Uh, Yeah, I don't know Jesus. Well, in this story, Jesus, uh, one day, in John chapter 21, he turns up on the shore where, just a a little ways away from where Peter is um, out fishing with some of the guys. And as Jesus walks along the shore there, he calls out to Peter and the guys out in the boat, and he says, Hey, friends! Have you got any fish? And they yelled back, no. And then he said, 
Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus has said this to Peter. It's like he's replaying the story for Peter so that Pete gets who it is that's yelling at him from the beach. When they did it, they were unable to haul the net off in because the, 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 the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Because this is happening all over again. The nets are full because Jesus has said, put the nets in that side. It's the Lord. And he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. That must have been what his swimming trunks or something. <laughs> he throws the gear on to get into the water. Um, the other disciples, they followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish because they weren't far from the shore. About 100 yards or... 90 metres, not quite 100 metres. Uh, when they landed, they saw a fire burning coal with burning coals there with some fish on it and some bread. And Jesus says, come on, bring some of that fish that you've just caught. Peter uh, climbed aboard and he dragged the nets in and he's, it, was, it was full and it was large. Now, you know how fishermen love to brag. Well, they, they're having a little brag here. It says 153, in fact. <laughs> having a brag, 153 fish, in fact, um, but, not, but the net was not torn. Jesus said, come on, let's have breakfast. None of the disciples, they knew who he was, but they didn't, it says they didn't dare ask him who he was. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish, and this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. And this is the little bit here, which is just an amazing account. When they'd finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than all of these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's an interesting little interplay here because Jesus says, do you love me? And he uses the word, do you agape me? Do you love me without condition? Do you wholeheartedly, just unreservedly, do you full, fully with all your heart, do you love me? And Peter's reply is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter doesn't use the same word in response. He uses the word phileo love, which is I I, I. I kindly consider you to be like a brother to me, to, you, you know, you're worthy of my esteem. But it's not that wholehearted, unconditional love. It's this, I think what, what's happening is Jesus is like where Corey is saying, do you fully love me? And Peter is kind of like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he's sort of keeping a little, just a little bit of distance. And then it says there a second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And so I imagine Jesus would have just come a little bit closer to Peter at that point. And so the, the nearness of the relationship was getting a little more kind of, this is real, this is happening. And, 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 and Peter says, still, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. He can't quite... Peter can't quite bring himself all the way to where Jesus is. And then Jesus does this amazingly merciful action. And he says to Peter for a third time, 
He says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you phileo love me? In other words, Jesus took the language of where Peter was able to come to and then Jesus realized where Peter was stuck and he just stepped into Peter's world. He just stepped into Peter's world. That's the good news. Jesus steps into our world where we can't come any closer or reach towards him any... We, 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 we kind of can come this far, but Jesus says, it's okay. I love you. And he steps right in close. Friends, this Advent, with that little exercise that we just did before about what's the fear thing that Jesus wants to walk you out of and into the good news that's a place of great joy for you this Advent, this Christmas, as we did that little exercise, Jesus is asking what he asked Peter of us all. This Advent, Jesus is saying, do you love me? And he's inviting us into that exchange. I'm really believing that for each of us this Advent, this Christmas. There's an amazing invitation in in God's heart for each and every one of us this Christmas. He wants to move us from fear and into life. He wants to establish once and for all that we as his people in the earth would be the ones that are not afraid. But we are the ones who live in the good news of great joy for all the people, which is the Lordship of Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for what you've been doing among us as family today. And I just ask, Lord, that this Advent, as we prepare our hearts, as we expect visitation from you, as we let our hearts and our minds be given over to the fact that, you know what, my cynicism holds me no more, but your love is ready to break in here. Oh God, would you bring us into the fullness, the fullness and the freedom of the great joy of the good news of Jesus. And like the shepherds, I'm asking, Lord, that post this Advent season, early in the new year, I'm asking, Lord, that we would be a people like the shepherds who, having had encounter with you, Jesus the Christ, having had met with you this Advent, I'm praying that we too would be like the shepherds and we would go back and we would tell people of what we've heard and seen and there would be great praise and glorification of Jesus in all the earth. Let your blessing be on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, folks, that's church today. God bless you.